The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time, and usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. Welcome to episode 58. Today, it's just you and me and answering some questions. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. All right, guys. I figured it was time for a solo episode because I haven't done one in a while and I just wanted to take some time to answer questions. So in today's episode, by the way, I'm Savannah. I am a dermatology PA and the creator of the paplatform.com and the Pre-PA Club podcast. So I just haven't done an episode by myself in a while just answering questions. I just get tons of emails and instant messages, DMs on Instagram, Facebook, in our Facebook group, the Pre-PA Club. I just get a lot of questions and I felt like it was time to address some of those on the podcast. And if you guys ever have questions, feel free to reach out. I'll do my best to get back to you. During the week when I'm working, it's a little crazy, so sometimes it's not as quickly as I would like, but I do my best. So yeah, feel free to send your questions my way. Um, And this episode is sponsored by My PA Resource because they sponsor all of our episodes, and we are big fans, partly because I edit for them, and I just think it's the best service out there for personal statement editing if that's something you need help with. You can use the code PREPA Club if you want your personal essay um, edited by APA, and most of us do have admissions experience. We get them back to you fairly quickly, lots of great information and suggestions. So yeah, if you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out, and you can use the code PREPA Club for a discount on your personal statement review. And you can also use that code at the PA platform if you need help with a mock interview, or you can use it on my book. So yeah, if you are looking into that, feel free to use the code. Anyway, um, to start this episode out, I just want to say that I appreciate everyone's reviews on iTunes so much, and I don't read them nearly enough, but there are such sweet reviews on there that make me want to keep doing this, so thank you for that. There were a couple recent ones, and I just wanted to read this one because I like the username of Razzle Tazzle. If that's you, thank you. Um, Razzle Tazzle says, I love listening to this podcast. This is definitely the most helpful and consistent PA podcast I've come across. 
Savannah is great at providing relevant and helpful information. I also love listening to interviews. Her interview book also helped me a ton. This podcast has made the pre-PA journey much easier. That is just so nice to me. And I just, I guess everyone, we let, we feel funny when we get compliments, but it also just kind of gives me that spark to just keep on going. Um, JC's is really sweet too. And she said, I've been following Savannah for several years and her blog, the PA platform was my first bookmarked blog while researching the PA profession. Oh, I love that. She is very insightful and dedicated to providing resources to pre-PA students and current students. Each episode is filled with information. I especially enjoy the interviews. Please keep them coming. Look forward to new episodes each Friday. Thank you. Well, dang guys, I guess I should do more interviews. No, I'm, I do have a lot of interviews coming for you soon, so don't worry about that. But yeah, but thank you so much for all of your sweet reviews, and um, it just makes me feel really good. So today we're doing something a little bit different. We are doing question and answer. So a while back on Instagram, I did the little, um, I don't know what to call it, little box where people can ask questions, and I got some really, really good ones and some really common ones. So I wanted to go over those, and then we also have a voicemail question, and I really hope it's not too late to answer your question, but I do think this will be helpful. So let's start with that. Hey, Savannah. Um, my name is Mariah LaRue. I am a reapplicant, and um, currently I'm waiting to hear back from some of the schools that I've applied to. I've applied to 13 so far, and um, this is actually the first time I have uh, gotten an interview invitation, so I'm very excited about that, and I have been uh, feverishly reading your book, which I absolutely love, and, and it's been super helpful, um, not only in interview prep, but also in answering some of the uh, supplemental applications questions that I've had to uh, work on recently. So thank you so much for that. Um, my question is, how do you suggest preparing for an interview with a new program? So this is um, a program that is just starting out and I am in the first interview uh, group. So I have zero idea what to expect um, as far as types of questions or even the interview style. Uh, the email mentioned something about a group activity and individual interviews, but I'm um, just wondering if you had any tips for someone who is interviewing at a brand new program just starting out. Thanks so much, Savannah. All right, I obviously love talking about interviews. Interviews at a new program can be difficult to prepare for because it's harder to know what to expect. So kind of like you mentioned, there's a lot of different components they've mentioned. And if you go to the PA forums or online, you're probably not going to find much information about the interview style or what to expect. So that kind of stinks. But that being said, it sounds like this interview should be pretty traditional. So you can expect the same type of things that you would with any other interviewer interview you may have a tough interviewer you may have nice interviewers you don't really know that until you get there and that can be at any program the one thing i think to go into a new program's interview with is, that's very important that was not good english is um just an open mind because they may not be a well-oiled machine yet. And so you may see kind of, um, you, you would hope to see a good level of organization 
and kind of get the feeling that they've got everything together, that they um, are are doing the best they can to make sure that everything is well organized and flows well that day, that they're able to answer all of your questions. That's one thing I would be on the lookout for is just any red flags that maybe they're not quite ready because what you don't want to happen is, especially if it's provisional, they don't get their accreditation, um, which we've talked about provisional programs before, but um, just that they would have some hiccups. And you can expect hiccups, and you need to be flexible with any program, even well-established ones. I One thing with new programs that I would not do is go in there defensive or questioning them um, or with the mindset of like, you guys need to tell me why, why I need to go here. What are you going to do to help me? How do I know you're going to help me pass the pants? Don't do that because they're going to get a lot of that and that is a huge turnoff. A better idea is to go into it with, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to be part of the first year of this program or the second year and help establish this program, help make a reputation for your alumni and make people want to hire people from this school because we do such a great job. And I want to help make this program better for future students and help out with kind of tweaking things and giving my my feedback and my input. So I hope that makes sense. Um, but yeah, just it shouldn't be necessarily different. You just may not have that much info going into your interview, unfortunately. But good luck. I hope that it hasn't happened yet. But if it has, I'm sure you did awesome. Thank you for, um, I'm glad the book was helpful and thank you for mentioning it. But um, yeah, we're happy to help. If you have any other questions, feel free to email me or do another voicemail. All right, let's go to some Instagram questions. And these are not in any particular order or by any particular category. So hang in there with me. The first one, what do I do if I notice a spelling typo on my application? Unfortunately, nothing. After you've submitted your application, you really can't go back and edit anything. So you just have to accept it, let it go, and hope that the admission reader just remembers that you're human. It happens. That being said, if you have not submitted, do look over your application, not obsessively, but a few times, and maybe have somebody else look over it and make sure that there aren't any glaring mistakes. Worse than typos, I've seen people kind of, I guess, make a mistake or like put something in as a holder on their hours and not ever change it. So then for some reason, it looks like they have 75,000 hours in a job they only worked for six months, you know? So I would not put any holders in like that. Try to make sure everything's accurate just in case you don't look at it again before you submit or you miss something because um, then it becomes an issue and you may have to contact the programs. It just gets confusing. So yeah, but don't stress out about it too much. Um, another code or another code, another question on Instagram was, do you have any promo codes for your online services? Speaking for all broke pre-PAs. So um, like I said, you can use pre-PA club from here on my PA resource and the PA platform.com. Um, and then on Instagram, there are some codes out there with um, my friend Erin from Stethoscope and Sparkle. And she was a guest. Gosh, that was a while ago. When was she our guest? Sorry, I'm looking back. I really like Erin. Um, 
I can't find it. But she was a guest at one point. Um, Aaron has a has a code. Dosa PA Paul, one of our coaches, has a code. Um, Jordan from Life as a PA has a code. They're all out there. So get on Instagram, and you should be able to find plenty of codes. And also look in my YouTube descriptions. What is my typical work day like? Okay, so I liked this question because I don't really talk about my work that much on here. But around 8 a.m. I attempt to get to work. I'll say that's a little bit later now with my baby because sometimes it is hard to get out the door and make sure I have not forgot one of my million things. And then I come running into work looking like a crazy person with my arms full. But that's fine. Um, around 8 to 8.15 before I start seeing patients, that's my time to just sit and get caught up on my pathology reports, any phone messages, any missed appointment letters, um, just kind of getting ready for the day. I make sure I get my ice water. I'm not really a coffee drinker, so that's not an issue for me. But um, yeah, so I just kind of sit there and get everything together, look at my schedule, see what to expect, if there's anything. Um, sometimes people get scheduled incorrectly, so I may have to have them call those patients and make sure that they're coming in at the right time or for the right thing. Um, yeah, just kind of looking over everything. I start seeing patients at 8.15, and my patients are scheduled every 15 minutes, and I do that until 11.30. That's my last patient appointment time. And I see a variety of patients. So it could be new patients, established patients, follow-ups, and that could include just medical derms, so acne, rosacea, psoriasis, eczema, warts, molluscum, who, you name it, just crazy rashes. And so that comes in, and then I also do some surgeries, so if I need to do a procedure or um, something called an EDNC, electrodesiccation and curatage, we do those for skin cancers sometimes, if we're cutting a little cyst out. Or for doing cosmetic procedures, so chemical peels, Botox filler, laser, all of those things can be kind of mixed into my day. And I see patients ranging from pediatric patients, so little babies, all the way to geriatric patients. And I have an amazing amount of patients over the age of 90, so I'm always impressed by them. Um, from 12 to 1, we have lunch. I would say it's very rare for me not to have a good one-hour lunch break, which is nice. Um, I'm able to get things done, go run errands if I need to. Um, we don't do a ton of um, drug rep lunches in my office. If you've ever worked in an office, sometimes the um, drug reps will bring in lunch to talk about their products. And so we do maybe one or two a week. And those are nice because we get lunch. But I also I love learning about new products. And I feel like it is a disservice to my patients if I don't know about the latest medications and how to get them affordably for those patients to make sure that they have access to whatever they need and whatever we need them to have. So I, I really like getting that information. Um, I go back to seeing patients at one o'clock and I'm scheduled until 4.15 and usually I'm out the door by five o'clock. So as long as everyone is on time and we don't have any what we call train wrecks, um, it can take one patient to derail the entire day. But yeah, as long as everything moves smoothly, usually it's, it's not bad and I'm home by five. So yeah, that's a day in the life of a dermatology PA. All right, what, we've already talked about that. 
Do you have any advice for the interview process? So this was a tough question because it is so general and broad. Um, yeah, I wrote a whole book about it. But there's a lot of great information out there. If you go to the PA Platforms channel on YouTube, there are some um, interview videos. There are obviously episodes of the podcast if you scroll back and look for those. And then um, if you go to the paplatform.com in the pre-PA section under resources, there's a whole interview section with blog posts about interviewing. So start there, and then if you have questions, we can follow up from there. Okay, how do you answer where do you think you will struggle most in PA school interview question? Well, to answer this question, I think the best way to do it is to read where I wrote it in my book. So one question, and if you have the book, this is on page 50. In your opinion, what will be your greatest challenge in completing PA school? One thing I talk about in the book is rephrasing questions because you cannot anticipate or expect a particular question to be asked exactly the way you prepare for it. Yes, that may happen, but it's more likely not going to happen. And so you need to be able to go, okay, well, like, let me think about how this question is being asked, what information are they really trying to get, and kind of rephrase it in my brain. So in the book, you'll have a question and then have it rephrased in different ways that you could use the same or a very similar answer for that question. So this is what I said about where do you think you'll struggle most in PA school? Your answer will vary based on personal experiences and where you are in life, and there are different ways to interpret this question. You can attack it from an academic angle or from a more personal perspective, like balancing family and school. Without a doubt, the coursework in PA school is tough, and I haven't met anyone who does not find it challenging at times, so be more specific. Is there a particular subject you struggled with during your undergraduate studies? If so, focus on that as a possible difficulty you may face during PA school, but emphasize how you succeeded despite that struggle. Being far away from family and friends may be another challenge. If this comes up, keep it positive and discuss your support system. PA programs need assurance that your family, significant other, and friends are going to be supportive and understanding while you are in school. If you mentioned having a child or family in your personal statement, be prepared for it to come up during your interview, which brings up the subject of illegal questions. Technically, no question is, quote, illegal, possibly unethical, but not illegal. The program should not straight out ask you these personal questions about marriage or children, but they may ask for elaboration on information provided pertaining to those subjects. I still believe honesty is the best policy, and instead of shying away from these questions, answer openly and in a positive way to increase the confidence the program has in your abilities. It appears shady to avoid talking about the people who are most important to you. So... You can also discuss your strengths there. So instead of saying kind of, you know, these are the ways I'm going to, you can say I'm going to struggle in these ways, but also say, you know, I also think I'm going to be successful because of these reasons. That's just my take on it. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Okay. Do you have more time for yourself post PA school or are you just as busy as a practicing PA? 
definitely more time post PA school. I leave my work at home. I don't bring it home with me. Also, I was pretty crazy in PA school and studied basically nonstop while I was at home. I would fall asleep with a book in my hand, wake up at 5 a.m. So yeah, you, you get a lot. I mean, that's going to be job dependent, granted, but if you make it a priority to prioritize your time and yourself outside of work, you can make it happen for sure. What is the first year out of PA school like? Did you feel well prepared? There was a huge learning curve coming out of school, and especially for me going into dermatology because in PA school, we only got two weeks of dermatology. That is not a lot. And I mean, there were little sprinkles of it in other subjects, but for the most part, I was having to learn so much to be able to treat these patients I was seeing. And um, there were things that just really freaked me out, like psoriasis. I, for a while, felt totally uncomfortable treating psoriasis. I would freak out because it looked like this awful rash. And ultimately, now I feel great about psoriasis. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a huge learning curve. It took me... It took me a good six months to get to where I was just not exhausted when I got home. And then from there, I mean, there are still things that I feel like I'm learning all the time. And I'm four years in now. So it's it's a learning. They talk about lifelong learning a lot. And it really is. Like you're constantly learning. Um, I have a great supervising physician who loves to teach and is very helpful. And so that helped me a lot when I was first starting out. As a PA, can you also work alongside others in clinical research? I mean, you can, definitely. Um, Most PAs do more clinical work, but if you're in an academic role um, and you have access, I don't see any reason why you couldn't do some research as well. You just have to find that job um, that would fit for you. Do you have any advice to land a job in dermatology as a new grad? I get this question so, so much. Um, yeah, there's a video on YouTube I did and I actually did as part of the webinar series a while back. Um, episode number 42 of the podcast is that video essentially. Um, but yeah, you just have to be patient, but also just reach out and depending on your area, it may be easier or harder to get a job. So a bigger city with more competition as far as experienced PAs, you may not get that job as a new grad. Um, A rural or suburban setting may be a little bit easier to find someone who's willing to put in the time and effort to train you to be able to do your job well. So um, yeah, it's, it's tough, but the jobs are out there. You just may have to try for a little bit or take something else first, which isn't bad because you're going to get experience before you're able to move into your derm job. How specific should our key responsibilities be when entering experiences in CASPA? I love this question because I am not a fan of just listing out your duties and responsibilities, but I want to read details about what you learned from the experience. So I almost want a little mini personal statement there about that experience. Um, Use the space that you're given. Because you're limited in the amount of characters for your personal statement, you don't want to waste this spot where they've given you to elaborate because you're not going to be able to put everything you want to into your essay. So for an example, instead of just listing out 
took vitals, helped with activities of daily living, did EKGs. You can put those things, but also add things like, I learned to communicate well with patients. I learned to calm patients down when they were um, fearful. I learned to work as part of a healthcare team with nurses and PAs and doctors. In shadowing, instead of talking about um, what you saw, like I saw a knee replacement, that's not why you shadow. You shadow to learn about the PA profession. So you saw a PA working with the supervising physician in the OR on a knee replacement. You saw the PA discussing pre-op and post-op with patients and prescribing them medications. That's the type of thing that I'm looking for in experience details. Do PAs see as many patients as physicians in a typical day? This is going to depend on the specialty and the setting. So my doctor has been working for, oh gosh, like 10 years now. Obviously, she sees more patients than I do, and her patients are more complicated. Um, but we're pretty close, so I can see up to 35 patients a day. And that's a lot, but derm is a very fast-paced specialty. If you're in something like internal medicine, you may only see, I don't know, 15 or 20 um, it's really just going to depend on where you're at and what that clinic looks like and then also how what your supervising physician's seeing and what you're seeing. And it's a lot of times up to you as well. What do you think of a physical therapy assistant as hours for a PA application? Um, for the most part, I've worked with a lot of applicants who have done PT aid and typically it counts as patient care experience, but you will always want to double check with the program you're interested in if you have any questions about whether an experience would be accepted or not. What was the hardest part when applying for PA schools? I think a lot of people will agree that waiting to hear back and just sitting there and waiting on um, confirmation of your application and interviews and all that is no fun at all and just extremely nerve-wracking. Um, so yeah, waiting was definitely the hardest part for me. What is a way to differentiate yourself when applying? Having an amazing personal statement. Um, at this point, I just feel like, for the most part, everyone has the grades, everyone has the um, experience, and if you're able to check all those boxes, at that point, the way to make yourself stand out is to just have an amazing personal statement that really shows who you are, what you're going to bring to the class, what kind of person you are, the experience you've had that you know what you're doing and answers all of their questions so that they feel comfortable letting you in the class. So yeah, that is the biggest part about your essay that will get you an interview. So your essay will get you an interview, the interview will get you accepted. How soon before graduation is a good time to apply for jobs? This depends on when you want to start working. I knew that I wanted to start working right after I graduated. My husband was in medical school. We were not going on any crazy vacations. I wanted that paycheck. So I started looking. I graduated in August. I started kind of casually looking in January and then applied in February. Had three, I believe, different interviews, which really were more like going and shadowing for a day. 
in March and April, and I actually almost took a neurosurgery job, but because um, I didn't know if the derm job was going to work out, and then very thankfully, I got the dermatology job. So I think I'm a lot happier here than I would have been in that job, just because it was an academic job, and I would have, um, I don't think I would have had as much autonomy as I would, as I do now. So. Anyway, um, I had classmates who waited until after graduation and after taking the pants to even start applying for jobs, and that's completely reasonable. I mean, um, I might have been a little crazy. I don't know, but there were a few of us who, who had jobs coming out of school. So, yeah, you definitely have options there. No rush, no rush. Okay, would you consider a CNA working as an in-home caregiver patient care experience? When you're trying to decide if your experience, quote, counts, um, it really comes down to what your actual roles and responsibilities are more than what your title is. So if you just tell me your title, I can't necessarily tell you if that is patient care or healthcare experience. I'm going to read CASPA's definitions of patient care and healthcare experience and then try to explain these. So patient care experience according to CASPA. Experiences in which you are directly responsible for a patient's care. For example, prescribing medication, performing procedures, directing a course of treatment, designing a treatment regimen, actively working on patients as a nurse, paramedic, EMT, CNA, phlebotomist, physical therapist, dental hygienist, etc. Okay, let's go to healthcare experience. Both paid and unpaid work in a health or health-related field which you are not directly responsible for a patient's care but may still have patient interaction. For example, filling prescriptions, performing clerical work, delivering patient food, cleaning patients and or their rooms, administering food or medication, taking vitals or other record-keeping information, working as a scribe, CNA, depending on job description, medical assistant, etc. So, the problem with these definitions is that CASPA has to classify your experience in some way. And in doing that, it might make you feel by these classifications that they are doing that incorrectly. It does not ultimately matter what you categorize your experience in on CASPA because the schools know what they're looking for. So scribe is one that some consider healthcare experience, some consider patient care experience. I recommend putting it in the CASPA category that they recommend. So healthcare experience. But you just know that if a school says they count it as patient care experience, then you're fine. That's what they're gonna count it as. Um, so CNA is one that it really just depends on what you do and your level of responsibility. And then medical assistant is the same. People get really upset about them calling medical experience healthcare experience. If you are, I think they're referring to more of a back office medical or front office medical assistant who's doing paperwork, prior auths, um, more administrative work than one who's working in the back office. Because I know my medical assistant is right up there with the patient with me, helping with my procedures. Um, she's taking a history. She is taking a review of systems. And she's going over prescription directions with them. And she's doing a lot with that patient in regards to their care. And so that is why that is patient care experience. 
how much weight do GRE scores carry in the overall application? So I've done a blog post on this and I'll put it in the description, but the GRE is more of kind of a checkbox for PA schools than anything else. It doesn't really tell you the program much about you in regards to your performance in school or even how you'll perform on the pants. Because most PA programs are master's programs, you kind of have to have something to qualify that and so that's why you have to take the GRE. Um, it's unfortunate because a low score could get your application thrown out but a high score isn't really going to make much of an impact. They're not going to be like, ooh, this girl did really great on the GRE, like forget her GPA. That's not how it works. So um, this is not the first thing they're going to look at when evaluating your application. So the nice thing about the GRE is you can continue to retake it until you hit the score you need to, and then you're good to go. So it does increase the amount of programs you can apply to as well. We probably need a GRE episode, but I'll work on that. When you have a current experience on CASPA, do the hours automatically update? No. So CASPA does not project hours and you can put that your experience is from a start date to current, meaning that it is still in progress, but the schools are not going to continue to add up those hours. If you have an update as far as hours and um, or a new experience or a change in your experience, you're going to have to go in and add it on CASPA and update it. Um, which will send an update out to the programs, but then you may still want to go and update the program separately because that doesn't always get to them or they may not look at it. So you do want to let them know, hey, I've got more hours, I've got more classes, whatever, um, to keep them informed. What would you say is a competitive GPA? As high as it can be, obviously. I mean, you want to not shoot for the minimum, shoot for the best you can be. But going for at least a 3.5 to 3.6 should put you in a pretty good place. That's kind of the average of accepted students. Um, but I see so many people who barely meet the minimums. I'm talking like 3.02 who still get interviews. And you better have killer experience and every other part of your application must be great to kind of balance that out. But um, once you hit that minimum, and that 3.0 is the magic number. But um, yeah, just GPA, that, this is something that, sorry, I'm on a soapbox now, but like undergrad students, if you ask me for advice or what you should do, my number one thing is just focus on your on your grades. Um, I know that you want to get there as quickly as possible and you want to get hours and volunteer and still do fun things and shadow and all of that. But if your grades suffer, it will really impact your application and you cannot sometimes come back from that very easily. Not that you can't come back, but it's going to be tough and it's going to take time. So if you're overwhelmed by everything you're trying to do, cut back. Just focus on your grades. Work on those prerequisites. Get a B or better. Keep your GPA as high as possible. That is going to be your best bet for getting into PA school. So um, just my two cents there, but yeah. Okay, so this question kind of plays off of that. Will retaking courses and buffering your app with experiencing make up for one bad year? So somewhat, somewhat yes. So 
having a lot of experience, like I said, it's going to help your application, but it's not going to cancel out a low GPA. So if you do not meet the minimums as far as GPA, having 100,000 hours is not going to change that. You have got to meet the minimums for the PA program to even see your application. And if you haven't listened to episode number 55 with Wes Johnson, the PA professor, you really need to because he gives a lot of insight into this as far as um, what how the applications come to a PA program. So it's not going to hurt to have that experience, but it's not going to erase anything. Um, and so you do want to focus on the weakest part of your application and try to improve that as much as possible. This is something I see like people will have a low GPA and know they have a low GPA, but then they just keep getting more and more experience. Like, no, if you know there's a weak part or a limiting factor on your application, you've got to start there and work your way up in that section to make that part better. Um, I know it's easier sometimes to focus on hours or things or there's financial stuff involved, but you've got you to gotta make priorities and sacrifice and figure out how much you want this if you want to kind of reach your goals. All right, let's do one more. How many volunteer hours should one aim for to be competitive? As an arbitrary number, I'm gonna throw out 100. But it's not really about the number of hours. I mean, yes, some schools have a certain number they're looking for, but it's more that the schools want to see continued involvement with your community and with underserved communities, and they want to see that you're really committed to something. So this is different than just, it's, it's better to do something over a long period of time, so monthly, weekly, for a year, versus going to the soup kitchen three times or doing 10 different one-hour events. You know, you really want to kind of um, try to do something continually um, in order to build up those hours. Okay, so... We will have another day of questions at some point, but I think that's enough for today. Um, and if you guys liked this episode style, let me know. If you hated it, also let me know so that I will not do it again. But um, I know sometimes you have burning questions and I know everyone has a lot of the same questions. If you're not already part of our Facebook community, uh, make sure you join the Pre-PA Club. It's a Facebook group, and I'll put a link in the description. Check out the paplatform.com, follow on Instagram, and yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.